0: The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Readers will travel back to London in the World War II era in Patricia Friedberg's novel 21 Aldgate. I have the privilege of talking with Patricia here right now. Pat, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show.
1: It's a pleasure. I look forward to speaking with you.
0: I look forward to talking with you, too, especially about this new novel, 21 Aldgate. Can you tell me what readers can find in it?
1: Well, they can find the story of a family that lived during the Second World War and what happened to them and about one particular character that is
0: featured throughout the book. How did the inspiration or the idea for this come about?
1: It came about, well, it's been coming about for years, actually. I wrote about it in a musical many years ago. Hmm. It didn't go anywhere in particular, but the story has always been with me. It's a personal story, one that I thought should be told and was was also published, actually was first published 10 years ago, and now it's being republished. Hmm. The reason being that it's so right for now, because we're going through similar situations in the world today.
0: Pat, would you say that fans of historical fiction then would be most into this?
1: Yeah, it is historical fiction, which is being repeated, which is so sad.
0: Mm. Now you said this was published about 10 years ago for the first time. Before that, had you ever written or published before?
1: Yes, yes. I was a journalist and a writer in Africa. When, and then there's another book that I've written about time. Uh, that was in a place called Southern Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe, which I was in for many years. So I have published, and I have written, and I've done a number of articles in in various publications. Hmm. So I'm not new to it. I'm a little new to being a novel writer, but not a writer-writer.
0: I was going to say, there is a difference between fiction and journalistic writing. So did this take a little longer than usual to write?
1: Yeah, well, a book would. You know, an article is shorter. It sort of comes much more easily. But with a novel, you have to make sure that your characters stay within character, and that the story is being told in the way that you want it to be told,
0: hmm. What are the chances you'll do a follow-up to this?
1: Well, I think I may do a follow-up in the way of an autobiography, having lived for many years. I also lived through as a child through the Second World War in London, so I know sort of what I'm talking about as far as living through war and the aftermath. So yes, I think an autobiographical novel with both England and Africa, South Africa I lived in, and now the United States, is something that would show readers how one lives a life in many different places and how very different they are, but they make a big difference to the way you write because you've been educated by being in a place and by experiencing it other than by being in a classroom and being taught it.
0: I really hope you get that autobiography out. It sounds like your story is really unique and would be really valuable for people to hear.
1: I think so. It's about colonialism in Africa, which I keep saying to all that I meet, people that are, who say, you know, you colonials were dreadful. Well... Maybe some of them were, but there are other colonials who brought reading, writing, education, health, and many other things to these, these countries that needed it desperately. And now that colonialism has, has ended, more or less, these countries have gone back to where they were before they, they started with the first colonials coming in. I'm not saying they were all good, they weren't, but the ones that were are sorely missed.
0: Pat, a lot of our listeners right now have that same vision. They have a story that they want to tell, but they're just starting out. They've never written or published before. So do you have any words of wisdom that you could offer to the aspiring authors out there?
1: Well, I think they just have to
0: do it. (laughs)
1: And the hardest thing is sitting in front of a computer in front of a blank page and say, I'm going to write a book. I do think you have to have some notes in front of you. I do think you have to know what your characters, why they're there and what they're about to do. And you have to have a voice in the way that you speak about it and write about it so that the the characters come alive and they're not just a description. You've got to get them moving. It's something that is, once you get into it, you find that you get it up very early in the morning and you're writing. But it's that moment of sitting down and beginning. I think every writer has that problem.
0: I encourage my listeners to check this book out. It's titled 21 Aldgate. It's written by Patricia Friedberg, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing. You can find this everywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Pat, thank you again for joining me here tonight, telling me all about 21 Aldgate and all, all of your creative endeavors. I hope we can talk again soon.
1: Yeah, I'd like to do that. Thank you for calling, and thank you for including me. Thank you.
0: The Alchemist's Journey. It's the new novel. It's in stores now by Jeff Curlin, and he's sitting right here with me now to tell me all about it. Jeff, thanks for being here with me tonight. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great that The Alchemist's Journey is out there for readers now. Can you tell me what they can expect?
2: Hopefully a fast read, you know, one that pulls them through, keeps them excited, keeps them going. It is a fantasy book set in modern times involving a protagonist who has had to deal with some tragedy and is, you know, in pursuit of those who have turned his life upside down.
0: Would you say this was geared mostly towards fantasy fans then? I would say so. I would say fans of like Jim Butcher's
2: Dress and Files or other urban uh, fantasy novels, I think, would enjoy this novel.
0: Mm. And Jeff, where'd the idea for this story come from?
2: It's actually characters that I kind of thought up over the years. For a long time, in response to reading a book or thinking a movie, I would, in my own mind, think, you know, what would I do? What kind of character would I create for this? Mm. Never with any idea of actually putting him in a book. Uh, when I actually did sit down to try and write a novel, I decided to see if I could do something with these, if I could come up with a coherent story. And so that's what I did. Hmm. I sat down and figured a through line for the different various scenes I created in my head over, you know, maybe a decade, then just put it down into print.
0: Hmm. Is this the first time you've written a novel then?
2: Yeah, it is actually Kind of an interesting thing about that for me is something I've always been interested in. I've been reading books since I was a child when I was young, you know, before we had internet and video games and all. That's where I spent my time most. You know, I would read novels. I'd read it, you know, a book or two a week. And it was one of the things if anybody asked, I would have said, you know, like, I could pick, you know, the career for me would be novelist. But for whatever reason, I had actually convinced myself that I couldn't do it. I was thinking, I, you know, I can come up with some ideas for characters, but I don't really have a story in me. You know, I, I can't put these all together in one story. I just never thought that I would ever do it. But in 2019, I got laid off. And then we, through COVID and everything, I made me kind of think about like, what should I be doing, you know, with all this free time I now have? <laughs> I had talked to my brother and he had said that basically through some of our correspondence, he said, you know, you're actually a pretty good writer. And I was like, really? <laughs> and so I just thought and thought and I, you know, I was like, ah, I really don't know what else I want to do with where I am in my life, so man, I can at least try. So I did. I sat down and it just kind of flowed. And I started, you know, I was realizing, wow, this is, this is awesome. I am happier doing this than anything else I've done. And it was just an exciting thing to be done and to see it all come together. And even in writing, I'm like, do I have a novel in me? Or do I only have a short story? Or do I have a novella? Well, 120,000 words later, (laughs) I had a novel. So thought I would put it out there, and, and hopefully people will like it.
0: Absolutely. Jeff, I'm glad you made wise use of all that time. Have you given thought to a sequel, maybe, to this?
2: Oh, yeah. I'm actually about 20 chapters into a sequel right now.
0: Wonderful. And when you got the first copy in of The Alchemist's Journey, after all that time of writing it and just basically seeing it on the computer screen, you got to hold that first one in your hands. What was that moment like for you, Jeff?
2: It's almost like... <laughs> It's very akin to holding our firstborn child when they were born. You know, I'm not going to say that the emotions were exactly the same, but, you know, this is something that I have done. And for me, it was never, you know, I'm not sitting there thinking, you know, all right, you know, now we're off and rolling. Money's going to start pouring in. No, this was an accomplishment, a personal accomplishment that I did, something I never thought I could do. And holding in my hands. It was just, it was so exciting and gratifying and fulfilling. Mm.
0: I encourage my readers to check this novel out. It's called The Alchemist's Journey. It's written by Jeff Curlin and it's published by Fulton Books. Of course, you can get this everywhere. Grab it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Jeff, thank you again for joining me here tonight, telling me about The Alchemist's Journey and everything you're doing. I hope we can chat sometime again soon. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me on. Lost and Found, Miraculous Love, The Holiday Edition. This is the third book of the Lost and Found series by Dina Hendricks, and I'm really happy that Dina is right here with me now to talk about it. Dina, thanks for being here.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: It's great to have you. Can you tell me all about Lost and Found, Miraculous Love, The Holiday Edition?
3: Sure. I guess- short answer would be that it is about God's love and how that is our example to love others, you know, only the way that he can present that. The longer answer, I would say, it explains the Christian Christmas story, the birth of Jesus and all the surrounding details told by the characters that are in the first two previous books of Lost and Found. Hmm. And then we also have the Jewish Hanukkah story, and that's told by a new character that's introduced in the third book. These two stories both show us how God's love is shown through our circumstances and the people that he places into our lives.
0: Dina, what kinds of readers were you writing for here?
3: So when it comes to readers for this particular book, for the third book, I would say that it can identify with Christian and or Jewish families but also with non-believers that may be looking to know or understand the meaning behind the holidays themselves. For an age, I would say children between, say, toddler to preteen. And just for the parents, a side note that for the younger readers, I did soften some of the meanings to the words. So, for instance, I use the word pure when referring to Mary or the term do away with when talking about the king's orders for the boys two years and younger in the Christmas story. This way, if a child has a question, they can present that to their parent or their guardian, and they can answer how they see fit. Hmm.
0: Like I said, this is book three of the Lost and Found series. Where did you get the idea for this one?
3: For this one, it's kind of funny. In 2020, obviously, that was when COVID came, and we were on our side of the street. I had the kids outside and we're playing and we have a very, very close family that we're with or our friends, I'm sorry, but we consider them family. It's a Jewish family that lives close by. The father had come to our side of the yard to just let me know, you know, what had been going on in Israel and with his family. And we got into a very long discussion about my beliefs and his beliefs and It was really respectful and loving, and it was really a great conversation. And at the end of it, he said to me, Tina, you know, I'm so happy that we we share the same God. And a few days prior to that, I had been praying and asking God, you know, what what do you want this third book to be about? And the moment that my friend said that, I knew right then and there that that was God speaking to me and giving me the idea for
4: the
0: third book. Mm, Wow. What are the chances we'll be seeing book four in this series?
3: You know, I, I'm not sure. The Lost and Found series might be complete. I haven't decided exactly on that yet, but I do have some ideas for some other
0: books. Hmm. You're no stranger to publishing. You've done it a few times now. Does it ever get old when you get that first physical copy and you get to hold the hard copy for the first time? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs>
3: It's a feeling I can't even explain. It gives me butterflies in my stomach. I just, pure joy when I
0: receive the first copy of the book. And now, would you have any words of wisdom that you could offer to those listening right now who are authors just starting out with things? Definitely. I would say the
3: biggest thing would be not to be afraid. I think that, at least for me, I put a lot of pressure on myself and even sometimes talk myself out of doing something. And I just have to get in his presence and and get inspired because I know that there are things that he wants me to write about or things that he wants me to do in my daily life, and I just have to push that fear away and and just do it.
0: Mm. I love the message of this book, and I think a lot of readers are going to get a lot out of it. It's called Lost and Found, Miraculous Love, the Holiday Edition. This is written by Dina Hendricks, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Grab this anywhere, online at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Dina, it's been wonderful chatting with you here tonight. Thanks again for joining me.
3: Oh my goodness, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for this opportunity.
0: Right now, here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm sitting down with author Beth Jester. Beth, thanks for being here with me tonight.
5: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: I appreciate you being here. I wanted to say congratulations for the new book you have out in stores right now. It's titled, We Live with Nana and Grandpa. Can you tell me about it?
5: Sure, I'd love to. My husband and I have been raising our grandchildren for the last seven years, and I was in search of a book to try to help them understand our household and how they were being raised and I couldn't find anything. So I decided that this was a good thing to write to help other children feel that they were not alone in the way they were being raised.
0: Hmm. Is this the first time you've written or published?
5: Yes, it is. Yes, it is.
0: Did We Live With Nana and Grandpa take you a long time to write and put through the publishing process?
5: It actually did take me a long time. Initially, I wrote it pretty quickly based on our family's life. It's written from the child's perspective, my granddaughter, but it took me a while because if you're raising grandchildren, it's easy to forget, because I'm a grandparent age, how much physical time it takes. Mm.
0: And would you say this is best for families with younger children or a little bit of older children?
5: I would say young children. The two characters in the book, based off of my two grandchildren, are age three and five, which is when I began writing it. They're now seven and nine. I would say younger children, nine and under.
6: Mm
0: -hmm. Beth, this being your first time publishing, and after all that hard work, what was that moment like for you whenever you got the first hard copy and you got to hold it for the first time?
5: Oh, very exciting. I mean, it finally had come to fruition, and it was a relief and excitement all at once. Wonderful.
0: I'd assume you learned a lot along the way, Beth. So do you have any words of advice that you could offer to authors who are just starting out?
5: Hmm. I would say research many different companies if you want to go with a company to assist you since you're brand new at this. Or if you would like to self-publish, which I feel as though I've learned enough, I probably could self-publish now. didn't feel confident in the beginning. Just do a lot of research and talk to as many authors as you can.
0: That's great advice. So looking back over the whole thing, Beth, what to you is the most rewarding aspect of being a published author now?
5: Well, for me, what will be most rewarding is hearing what people have to say after sharing it with their families, particularly grandfamilies. I was in a meeting this morning on Zoom with two other grandmothers about an upcoming conference that we're going to be in, in intergenerational conference. And they both had received the book last week and told me how they loved it and while reading to the grandchildren because this is exactly why I wrote it, because it made the children feel so normal in the way they were being raised. They did everything all the other children do, and yet they're being raised by grandparents who love
0: them. Mm, That's so important. Yes. What happens when the writing got tough? Maybe you felt like writing, you had something to say, but you didn't know where to go with it, or maybe you had writer's block. Nothing was coming out onto the page. How did you get through things like that?
5: I just wrote it, and when I was completed, I decided it would be best for me to reread it and try each time to, as best I could, to read it with fresh eyes. Mm. And there were things that I decided to change or improve or remove or add. I wanted to be as thorough with my thinking about this book as I could be. Mm.
0: In children's books, the visual element is very important, the cover, the illustrations. Beth, can you tell me about the thought that went into that?
5: That was one of the reasons it took so long to do the book is my original illustrator had illustrated other books. I was very pleased with her and she was pregnant and had difficulty in the pregnancy and had to step out. Oh. So then I had to start over again with a new person. So I found a person locally that lives in my town, quite a talent. I was very pleased with her. So she illustrated the book for me. It did take a long time because I found out that what was going on in my head wasn't always communicated as clearly to her as I should have been communicating it. And then we learned to be in sync, which was good.
0: I think a lot of people are going to get a lot from it. It's titled We Live with Nana and Grandpa. It's written by Beth Jester and it's published by Covenant Books. Of course, you can pick this up everywhere, online, grab it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, and you can also get it down the street at your local bookshops. Well, Beth, thank you again for joining me here tonight and telling me all about this book. I had a wonderful time talking.
5: Thank you. I as well. You have a great day.
0: Sitting down with me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Bruce Barcombe. Bruce, thanks for joining me here tonight. Thanks for having me. Just wanted to congratulate you on having a new book in stores right now. It's called The Change Agent, Paradigm Shift in Consciousness. Can you tell me about it?
7: It's uh, a book that really takes a look at what we've seen, learned, heard, and practiced, and how it affects our uh, society, people's actions and behaviors, and how to unhook from the uh, negative messaging that's out there and find some peace.
0: What sorts of readers were you reaching out to with this? It covers a lot of fundamentals of philosophy,
7: religion. It's the intersection of politics, religion, and the impact of the messaging from a political science perspective upon our society.
0: And how are you inspired to write this? Where did the idea come from?
7: You know, I sat down, uh, watched the January 6th unfurl before my eyes, and having uh, gone through the, the 2020 election cycle and, and all the negative messaging and the vitriol, and what do these people think, right? What do they see, learn, hear, and practice, and finding their truth, uh,
0: transcending that cycle of negative messaging and vitriol. When it comes to writing and publishing, have you ever done anything like this before? I've done one of the book on the human condition, The Change Agent from 30,000 Feet. Hmm. And once you got started writing this, was it something that went quickly for you, or did it take you a while to finish?
7: I actually finished inside of six weeks. It went quick. It was inspiration, not perspiration. So the rough draft was done inside of six weeks, and from there I was fine-tuning it, getting the editing, getting the artwork, and
0: bringing it into fruition. Bruce, do you ever get that inspiration to write, sit down to write, and then nothing comes out? You get writer's block, or maybe you're just stuck for ideas. How do you get through that? and meditate, and so I, I'm looking for inspired thought, not perspiration. Mm. Inspiration, not perspiration. And there's nothing like seeing that finished product, that hard copy. Once you got that hard copy for the first time in, Bruce, what was going through your head? I
7: smiled. I, I read it cover to cover the next day, both the physical copy and then the online copy. What's nice about the, the ebook portion is that the bibliography, because I'm, I'm about facts, what is the truth, right? And there's links, so people can actually go out and click those links, and take a look at that knowledge and information that I use in some cases to uh, validate the material in the book.
0: Bruce, a lot of our listeners out there are authors just starting out. They haven't written, they haven't published, but they really want to. What words of wisdom could you offer them? Follow your heart, write what you know, and follow your passion. Mm. Now that you have a couple books out and you have all this work out there, Bruce, what's the most rewarding thing that you can say now to you is about being a published author?
7: taking care of others in the messaging, making sure that I'm true to myself, true to others. Stoic values and virtues is what the book centers on, you know, doing the right thing uh, in uh, society that sometimes is caught up in negative actions.
0: Bruce, when you're on a writing project, do you find yourself going down writing at a certain time every day, maybe at a certain place, or do you find yourself writing when the ideas are coming to you?
7: I outline, I take notes of information that I want to include in the write, and then later on, I, I sew it together in the writing process, you know, and you just kind of follow that outline until it's done. And then, of course, the editing, you,
0: you smooth out the rough edges. Are there people in your life who also inspire and encourage you?
7: Yes. Along that Pat Life's path, I had a life coach for a while, and he's the one that first told me to write. <laughs> mm. He thought that what the, my lived experiences were beneficial, and then I could communicate that in writing. And uh, that was his inspiration
0: for the first book, and the second book wrote itself. Bruce, it's obvious a lot of thought went into the cover. Can you tell me about it?
7: Yeah, the cover was actually my son's idea. My first book, I was doing consulting flying East Coast to the West Coast, and so it's an airplane window. And originally, the thought for this book was consciousness. Uh, I was looking for the saint, so much I thinking from the space shuttle, but my son heard parts of the book, and especially around the, the riot, the insurrection uh, on the 6th, and he, he sketched it out on paper what he thought it, it should be. And I just, I was open to suggestion. That's half the battle in writing is you want to be open, not closed. And it presented itself. And, and I, I love the cover. I, I can either be on that wall arguing, bickering, or I can try to rise above that and find that freedom uh, from the bondage of self, freedom from the bondage of others.
0: I know a lot of people are going to be interested in this book. It's called. The Change Agent, Paradigm Shift in Consciousness. It's written by Bruce Barcombe and it's published by Fulton Books. You can grab this everywhere, online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and Google Play, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Bruce, thanks again for joining me here and telling me all about The Change Agent. I had a really nice time talking with you. Thank you. Readers will get a whole new outlook on plant-based nutrition in a new book by Leslie Rand Wilderson. It's titled V-Musings, A Plant-Based Diet Source Book, Part 1. Leslie's right here with me now to talk all about it. Leslie, thanks for being here tonight. Thank you, Corey. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's great to have you. Can you tell me all about what readers can find in V-Musings?
8: Sure. So the book titled V-Musings, A Plant-Based Diet Source Book, the V is for vegan and vegetable, and musings is the traditional definition, but the title is also a vegan play on the word amusing. Mm. The book is part one in a series that explore a wide range of topics. It has a scientific foundation, and it's based on my wonderful 18-year plant-based diet experience. One of the great things about the book is that it's concise. It's also entertaining in the way it traces the origin of the plant-based culture. It really gives a complete picture. Interestingly, when the manuscript was accepted, the publisher remarked that there was nothing else like it. Mm. So I've put colorful collages into each section showing many facets of plant nutrition to provide a visual way to think of the information in the book. It has tons of information. I think all fruits and vegetables have a nutritional purpose that keeps us healthy. And I go into these details covering about 34 topics with short passages ranging from fun facts about nutrient-dense microgreens and health benefits of chocolate, plant-based magazines, vegan shopping, plant sources of calcium, vegan cheese, plant foods, everyone loves. I provide data on the good and bad of GMOs to help make informed decisions about consuming them. So I really break down the science of plant nutrition. And there are all kinds of trivia about plant-based dining, from my visit to awesome establishments from coast to coast. Mm -hmm. For instance, I found that the first 100% vegan pizza place is in Seattle, Washington.
0: Leslie, what kinds of readers do you think would get the most out of V-Musings?
8: Ah, V-Musings is filled with nutrition facts for everyone. Vegans, plant-based dabblers on flexible diets, people looking for healthy diet modifications, and anyone I call a V-Muser. Seeking insight about the health benefits of plant sources and looking for deliberate transformative results, my book really explains the why regarding plant-based nutrition and covers so much in a surprisingly quick read that will keep you informed and bemused.
0: Hmm. Leslie, when it came to getting started with V Musings, how did you go about that? Did you have a certain way of doing things?
8: Yes. My method for writing this book was to research the topics and then transform the data into fascinating storytelling using my own language style. I took science and nutrition facts and made them interesting and relatable. It was a blast. I impressed myself with some of the passages. And for fun, I added captivating French subtitles for each chapter. My plant-based lifestyle is a passion, so that made the words flow onto the pages. It was great.
0: Can you think back, Leslie, to when you got the idea to write this book? How were you inspired to do this?
8: This book is really inspired by my personal experience. So during my 18-year plant-based journey, I really wanted to share the joy and immense value that I found, which has turned me into a lifelong vegan. My career in healthcare has been a huge factor in influencing the way I've presented the subject matter, and my medical background helped me interpret the scientific data and make plant science and plant-based nutrition understandable and practical for everyday use.
0: Leslie, you said this was the product of 18 years of your experience. Now, I'm hoping it didn't take you 18 years to actually write this. How long of a process (laughs) was it? No, it
8: definitely wasn't. I think over the past two years is when I really started to become inspired to write this book. I'm always writing things down and transforming the way I do things So I wanted to contribute to the culture, and this was my way of putting down everything that I've learned about nutrition and, you know, the vegan lifestyle. In my rewarding experience, I've learned a lot, and I'm always discovering the wonders of plant nutrition every day.
0: Mm -hmm. And I certainly encourage my listeners to go ahead and check this book out. It's called V Musings, a plant-based diet source book, part one. This is written by Leslie Rand Wilderson, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can pick this up everywhere, get it online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Leslie, thank you again for coming on the show and telling me all about V-Musings. I had a really nice time talking with you.
8: Thank you, and I appreciate the talk today. Have a great afternoon.
0: is the story of two very special twins. It's titled The Little Yellow House at the End of the Road. The book's written by Daniel E. David, and Daniel's right here with me now to chat all about it. Daniel, thanks for being here.
4: It's good to be here.
0: It's great you have this book out in stores right now, The Little Yellow House at the End of the Road. Can you tell me about this?
4: Well... There's so much to the book, it's hard to break it down. <laughs> but I can tell you, it's a story of two children, Alexandra Ibuki Andropopoulos and Daniel Jordan Doberstein, who, after having been raised as twins, were separated, except for fun weekends, at the age of three. Fifteen months later, at the tender age of four, when their mothers, with no warning, are faced with the challenge of running a thriving international business on their own. The children are completely separated, which unfortunately leads to complete and unforeseen estrangement of the two. Five years later, a phone call from halfway around the world changes everything, and Alex and Danny find out they're going to have to share a bed together. Neither of the two remember the other. Selfish attitudes prevail. Their first encounter in five years takes a decidedly nasty turn. A truce is worked out, and a rocky friendship restarted. Fate has decreed that they are to spend seven days together. They will have seven days in which to rekindle the bond that had previously united them. The bond purposely broken five years earlier and now forgotten. That's basically the whole idea behind the book is these two kids are going to get together again. And neither of them are aware of the other. They just forgotten. When Alex broke the bond, it was a past disappeared for both of them. There's a lot of backstory after this and then the seven days that the children spend together is <laughs> is just a chaotic time that kids have doing this the things that kids do. And it's kind of interesting. I'm eighty four years old. I came up in a time when we did outrageous things, you know. <laughs> we just had a really great time going through high school and everything. And now it's like People are practically prisoners in the city, almost locked up, well, they are locked up with COVID. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But people need to read this to see what kids actually are like.
0: What kinds of readers do you think would really be into it?
4: I think mothers who have raised children would really get a kick out of the book. Mm. It's written such that from junior high on up, young adults, whatever, but anybody could read the thing. Hmm. It's written in simple, you know, English, no big words, if there are big words. I took the time to explain them. Anybody could read it.
0: Is this the first time you've written or published a book?
4: Well, it's the first time I've published a book, Hmm. but I do like writing. I've been writing some stuff on COVID and just a lot of stuff. I do a lot of reading.
0: When it comes to this book, the story about the twins, the storyline that you're weaving here, where'd you get that idea?
4: I started the book like 20 years ago, and at the time, Vladimir Nabokov was always in the news, and everybody was talking about how well Vladimir Nabokov wrote, and I read his book, Lolita. Well, I didn't like it. (laughs) Lolita, I guess, took him eight years to write, from what I recall now. But when I read that, I said to myself, geez, Dan, you could write a better story about kids than that. (laughs) And then I had all of these story scenarios breaking into my head. And I started writing them down. Eventually ended up with a book 20 years later.
0: When you got the first copy of The Little Yellow House at the End of the Road, the hard copy, you got to hold it in your hands. What was that moment like for you?
4: It was pretty neat. I could instantly tell that the book was well made physically. Mm. It was just a nice feeling of having completed the thing and knowing that it's there. I don't trust computers that much. (laughs) So having a solid book was really quite an experience for me. Hmm.
0: I think this is a book a lot of people are going to really love. It's titled The Little Yellow House at the End of the Road. It's written by Daniel E. David, and it's published by Fulton Books. Grab this anywhere at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Daniel, thank you again for joining me tonight, telling me all about your book. I hope we can do this again.
4: Well, of course, it would be kind of neat, yeah. I enjoyed it immensely, here, and I hope everybody enjoys the book as much as I did. I read it all the time.
0: Charlie for President. That's the new book, In Stores Now, by Michael DeName, and he's right here with me now to chat all about it. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me. Yeah. It's wonderful this book is out in stores. Can you tell me what Charlie for President is all about?
9: It's a dog against a cat. The title of this book indicates my interest in American politics. A little doxim that should be in the White House, my pet. I'm up against Snoopy, but one friend's right. I'm not making any Snoopy rich. I'm making you rich. Maybe they should put a dog in the White House. I want the children to get the very best of their education from kindergarten to sixth grade. I want them to read the book and get the knowledge for children that want to be the president someday.
0: Michael, where did the idea or the inspiration for this book come from?
9: Well, I sit around the house. I voiced my opinion against Barack Obama 10 years ago in the New York Post. I went out to Washington. I'm on the u for the presidency.
0: So you said you're a writer, Michael. Have you been published before this?
9: No, this is the first time, and I'm very honored with you guys because you're good Christian people. You know, only crap sells, but they wouldn't have published my book if it wasn't crap.
0: Did this take you a long time to write?
9: No, it just took me a week.
0: Hmm. And when you finally got that first copy and you got to hold it in your hands for the first time, Michael, what was that moment like for you?
9: Very honest. I was excited. I'm excited about being on radio. I'm very creative. Everybody tells you are very creative, you're very bright, you're very smart. I went to Washington. I met a wonderful woman by the name of Mary Baker. I let her know what goes on at the Federal Elections Commissions.
0: Michael, now what's the most rewarding part of being a published author for you?
9: Knowing that I'm a writer doing something creative because not everybody could say they wrote a book.
0: And do you have plans to write and publish another?
9: Yeah, I want, if Charlie, because I got all the books to publish. The sequel of Charlie and Mr. Gus and his Pet Animal Friends, which I gave to St. Jude's Hospital, dedicated to my father. I wrote Mr. Gus and his Sports Friends and Mr. Gus and his Space Adventures, because I want kids to get knowledge. I want the children to think about these things, and I want children to be knowledge.
0: Do you have any advice now that you could offer to those listening who are authors who are just starting out?
9: Publish a book with Christian Faith Publishing. Thanks to them, I got a job.
0: Michael, do you have people in your life who inspire you and motivate you, especially when it comes to your writing?
9: My mother. You're never going to find a girl like that.
0: Mm. And whenever you're writing, do you ever get writer's block, and how do you deal with something like that?
9: No, I have dyslexia, but I don't. I'm very creative.
0: Hmm. Do you find yourself writing at the same time every day, or do you write whenever the ideas come to you?
9: Well, the ideas just pop to the head.
0: Can you tell me how you went about getting the book illustrated?
9: It was Christian Faith Publishing. They did an excellent job.
0: Well, I think children would get a lot out of this book. The title is Charlie for President. It's written by Michael DeName, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get this everywhere, online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Michael, thank you again for joining me. I had a nice time learning about your book.
9: Okay, thanks a lot.
0: Joining me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Ebony Hudson. Ebony, thank you for being here with me.
6: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, it's really exciting you have a new book out now called From Healing to Wholeness: A Christian Perspective on Emotional and Mental Wellness. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Sure, the
6: book deals with emotional and mental issues, specifically depression, anxiety. You know, we know that in this time, people are dealing with a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. Anxiety is at an all-time high, depression is at an all-time high. And I really just wanted to speak from a Christian and a biblical perspective to let people know that God has answers. The book talks about people in the Bible who also dealt with depression, anxiety, distresses, overwhelming feelings of life, and how God spoke to them and used them for great and mighty things. That's the reason I wrote the book, and that's what I hope people will get from the book, just the feeling of hope in the midst of sometimes hopeless situations.
0: Ebony, what sorts of readers do you think would really be into this?
6: I think that not only people who may be struggling themselves with any kind of mental or emotional issues, but I also think that caregivers, family members, friends, sometimes we see those that we love struggling and it's like, you know, how can I best help them? And so I think that the book gives some very practical steps that people can do that even someone who's reading it but not going through it directly can pass along to, again, family, friends, neighbors who they do see struggling in the areas of their mental and emotional health. Mm.
0: Ebony, can you think back to that moment when you were inspired to sit down and get working on this book?
6: Yeah, it actually was early 2000s, I think around 2006, 2007. I was working as an outpatient therapist at a Christian counseling agency and just really was struck by and had a heart for and a passion for and a compassion for people who were coming to the agency. I think there were about 15 of us there at this Christian Counseling Agency and just seeing just the numbers of people who were coming. These were believers. These were believers in Jesus Christ and they were struggling. You know, they were struggling in their relationships. They were struggling in their emotional and health and their mental health and their faith and their lack of faith. And I just really just really felt a need to do something aside from just therapy. And that's where I kind of had the idea for the book. And that's kind of where it started, just seeing hundreds of people come in for help and for counseling And just having a passion and a compassion on them to be moved to help in any way that I could above and beyond an hour-long session one day a week.
0: Then was it a long process for you to write and put through the publishing process?
6: It was. What happened was I started the book and then I kind of set it to the side. I got married, you know, my husband was active duty Air Force and so we kind of traveled from state to state and the book and the manuscript kind of got stuffed in a box and it also traveled from state to state and a couple of years ago about 2 years ago I think during the pandemic when we were all stuck in the house I kind of dusted it off and the Lord gave me some new revelations and some new wisdom to kind of add to the book. I took some stuff out, added some stuff in. Then I submitted it to Christian Faith Publishing and By the grace of God, it was published earlier this year.
0: Wow. Congratulations. What was it like for you then when you got to hold that first copy in your hands?
6: Oh, my goodness. It was almost unbelievable (laughs) that I was actually, because I am such a bookhead and a reader. I am one of those people that can sit in a bookstore you know, for hours just holding and reading other people's books. And so the fact that I was holding in my hands one that had my name on it, really was just truly amazing. There are almost no words to it. I felt proud of myself. I felt proud of my legacy that not only my children, but potentially in the future, their children and their children's children would know this about their grandmother, their mother, their great-grandmother. And so it was just an amazing and very proud and humbling feeling.
0: Ebony, is this the first time you've been published then?
6: Yes, it is.
0: Oh, congratulations. Have you thought about more than after this?
6: I have not thought about more books. I do write blog articles where I again try and think about issues and stresses that people are dealing with, whether it be depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, stresses, grief, loss, but from a biblical perspective. And so I do have a blog, but I have not had a desire as of yet (laughs) to write another book. We will have to see how the Lord leads on that one.
0: I know a lot of people are going to find a lot of help in this book. It's called From Healing to Wholeness, A Christian Perspective on Emotional and Mental Wellness. This is written by Ebony Hudson, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this online, of course, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Ebony, it was great talking with you tonight. Thank you so much for telling me about your book and the kinds of things that you do. I had a really nice time chatting. Thank you so
6: much again for having me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you're a parent you know very well that you would do anything for your children and the new book by Allison B Arney called I Give You The Moon is celebrating that and I'm really happy that Allison is right here with me now to chat about it Allison thanks for being here tonight
10: Thanks so much for having me I appreciate it
0: I appreciate you being here can you tell me all about I Give You The Moon
10: Sure I Give You The Moon is really applicable to all parents but specifically from my own heart as a mother to my children The prayers that I have for their life as they grow up, the future and what Mm. that holds for them, and just the prayers that a parent has that their children would always know that their love will be there for them to return home to and as a source of support as they continue to grow and find their own life.
0: Hmm. How did you come up with the idea for I Give You the Moon?
10: I was actually rocking my youngest when she was a newborn, and we were trying to get her to settle down a little bit, and the fan was on with one of those projectors that put stars on the ceiling. Hmm. And I started reaching up into the sky and pretending to pull those stars down and just started speaking to her some of the words that became the first lines of this book. So it kind of developed from there. Every night we rocked, and the book got a little longer in my head. (laughs)
0: Hmm. Was it a book that took you a long time to put together?
10: Not really. Honestly, it probably took a few nights of rocking, maybe within a week I had it all put together. But I knew almost instantly that this was a book that God had put on my heart that I wanted to take further. So I was very intentional to continue to develop the words that I was speaking into her.
0: Hmm. And of course, the illustrations are very important here. What was that process like?
10: It was really fun. I typically do not claim myself to be a visual person. So beginning to articulate, I did not do the illustrations myself, thankfully someone helped me with them, but beginning to articulate what I imagined those scenes to look like because they were all very vivid in my head. I could see them all, but getting the image out of my head and onto paper for someone else to interpret was a bit of a leap of faith, but Mm -hmm. I have to credit the good Lord there for giving me some words to figure out how to put it together, and the illustrator did a phenomenal job of bringing those images to life in a way that portrays myself and my three girls, and at the end, my husband joins us, and we just walk through life together, basically.
0: Hmm. Allison, what's your writing background look like? Have you ever done anything like this before?
10: Not with a book. I was an editor for a newspaper back in high school and college and did a lot of writing there. I did some poetry at a young age as well and had published that. But this was my first book. So that was very exciting for me.
0: I'm sure it was very exciting, especially that moment when you got the first copy in. What was that like?
10: I was actually on a meeting. I run another business as an HR consultant, and I saw on our ring doorbell that a package delivered. And so while I'm on this, I'm sorry to say, not that exciting Zoom call. <laughs> I did the image. and could tell that it was probably the book based on the size of the package. And so I anxiously awaited getting off of that meeting <laughs> and ran down and opened the door to get that. And it was just so surreal. I had seen the edits, but holding it in your hands is just something totally different. It was very emotional. It was a lot of fun, though. Mm.
0: What are the chances you'll be writing maybe a follow-up to this or some other kind of book in the future?
10: I have begun working on another book, Hmm. uh, another children's book that will feature my youngest and her best friend.
0: So publishing your first book, I'm sure you learned an awful lot along the way. What advice would you give to somebody who's also just starting out in this?
10: You know, one thing that I did different with this process than almost anything I'd really done in my life was that I kept this completely to myself. Hmm. My husband knew about it. He was the only one that had read it. My kids had heard it, obviously, because I would speak it to them. (laughs) But no one knew the images other than the illustrator and the publisher. No one knew the details more than just the subject and the fact that I was publishing a children's book. And it was really important for me to do that because I wanted this to be truly my vision. And I wanted it to be truly what God had put on my heart without the opinions of other people. And I am very blessed to have phenomenal friends and family. But because we're all so close, we're so quick to give each other opinions. And I just didn't want it tainted by anyone else's mind but my own. And so that was really tough because it's an exciting process. But I would really challenge another author to make sure that you take the time and write it first and really put it out there the way that you want it to be Mm -hmm. and not let the opinions of others adjust that so that it's really what's on your heart and not a conglomerate of what you think will make people happy. Because I think with publishing a book, the biggest challenge is wondering, will people like it? So by instinct, we want to go get other people's opinions first. But just trust your own heart. Trust what God has given you to put down on paper and run with it and see where it goes. Keep it pure.
0: Well, as a parent myself, this book really strikes a chord with me. It's called I Give You the Moon. It's written by Allison B. Arney, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can pick this up anywhere, Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Allison, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much for talking about I Give You the Moon and all of your work. I hope we can talk again sometime.
10: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to it as well.
0: We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books.